Hi everyone. Before we get into this week's episode, we wanted to let you know that Andy's main audio file was corrupted, so we had to use his backup audio, which hasn't come out super great. So apologies for that, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Sequel Pitch, the podcast where four friends pitch their best sequel for a movie that doesn't have one, and I have the ultimate power to decide who was best. I'm your two-time champ and host this week, Matt Rushton, joining me today, as always, the winning machine, Drew Toynbee. Hello there. The man never allowed to win again, Andy Henry. <laughs> That's unfair. It was all right. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hi, Andy. <laughs> And our man of many podcasts, Ross Harmston. Yeah, I just uh, just decided to do another podcast whilst I'm doing this podcast. It's called Behind the Podcast. Um, and it's uh, it's sort of a behind-the-scenes sort of podcast about doing podcasts and doing other podcasts. And then whilst d- that's doing a podcast, I'm doing another podcast about the people that are documenting my podcast about the Behind the Podcast. It's really, really good, mate. Download this it. sounds pretty meta. I'm not going to lie. I'm looking <laughs> forward to hearing it. Well, thank you, Ross. There you go. You heard it here first, everybody. <laughs> so, as I say, I am your host this week after managing an emphatic win with my Wild Wild West sequel pitch. Gosh, that's hard to say. With my Wild Wild West sequel pitch, a movie <laughs> deemed so bad that Andy is now never allowed to pick another. Who's deemed this so bad? <laughs> We gave it a, f- a fair review, but it wasn't that bad. We scored it 1.4375. A lowest rated film that we've uh, done. I'm pretty certain Ross only gave it a score because of the relationship between uh, Will Smith and Kevin Klein. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, nah, we'd have probably got a zero. <laughs> So, yeah, after winning last week, I decided to pick a movie that we could relate to. Uh, The psychological comedy, thriller, horror, who knows what, Game Night. Why is it relatable? Uh, No, whilst none of us have ever had a night quite like this movie, we are four uni friends of nearly 13 years, gentlemen, who share a passion for gaming, whether that's tabletop RPGs, D&D, Pathfinder, etc., video games, or just digging out any assortment of board games. I think, to be wholesome for a moment, it's definitely where our friendship blossomed, and there's definitely been times it's tested our friendship over those many, many years (laughs) too. Before we get into our pitches, not everyone may be aware of Game Night. If you have never seen it, uh, you may want to pause us now. Watch it on Netflix UK and continue where you left off. If you don't want to do that, well, I'll treat you to my very unofficial 60-ish second summary. Starting now. We open to see Max, Jason Bateman, meeting his match in Annie, Rachel McAdams, at a pub quiz. They fall in love. A nerdy montage later, including a charade's proposal and a dance mat wedding ceremony, and we cut to present day, a fertility clinic. Max has slow swimmers, but the problem is psychological, and his incredibly superior brother, Brooks. Undeterred, the two get ready to host game night with their friends, flat out lying to their neighbouring cock, Gary, 
Turns out Gary and his ex-wife used to be invited, but since their breakup, Gary's become an emotional baggage. Uh, Max and Annie are mean, Gary's a little needy, the friends all have to sneak into the house, so they enter through various windows until Brooks locks up in his sports car. Gary sees the group telling Brooks to shut up, and they're all busted. Turns out Max and Annie aren't hosting anyway. Brooks is, and it will be one hell of a night. Brooks is kidnapped, but because Brooks' game night is meant to start in this manner, everyone thinks it's part of the game. The winners are the couple that saved Brooks. As the film progresses, everyone learns that it's real, and they now actually have to rescue Max's brother from the dangerous bad guys. Cue hilarious intense scenes for a large portion of the film, culminating in Gary sacrificing himself for his friends only to reveal as the group all feel terrible and mourn that he is in fact the Game Master and did it to work his way back into regular game nights. Cue Gary then actually getting shot by some criminals after it turns out a discovered list of people in the witness protection inside a Fabergé egg is real and actual criminals want the list. Shit goes mental. Brooks is kidnapped again and Max and Annie rescue him by preventing a plane from taking off like fucking action heroes and taking down all of these hardened criminals. It's pretty magical. The film ends with the group including Brooks and Gary playing game night together. They're all really happy and Annie is pregnant! Gary's still sad about his ex-wife. There's trouble brewing outside though as two masked men cock their guns. Oh, well done. 60 seconds-ish. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> there is a lot that happens in that film. Yeah. What do we think then, boys? Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's, it, is, it is a very, very good movie. From start to finish, it's 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 wonderful. Like the casting is amazing, the relationships they have with each other are really good. The dialogue and the script is really good, and there's just just a lot of funny moments in it. Standout for me was the the taking the bullet out of the uh, the bullet uh, wound uh, scene. Indeed, that was a very very good scene. Very funny. Also, another one is a Fabergé when they're running around the the mansion trying to like not get caught and they're throwing it to each other. And like you said, another standout moment is when they try and <laughs> stop the plane from taking off and they just go straight under it instead of, <laughs> which is really good. Yeah, man, I thought it was a really good film. Really good. Yeah. It's excellent. And and yeah, Ross has pretty much covered my favourite bits as well. Shout out to Rachel McAdams. My goodness, that woman can do everything and can do it so, so well. Yeah. Like when I, I looking into bits of information about this movie and looking into Rachel McAdams career a little bit more. When you realise that she did The Notebook and Mean Girls in the same year. Bloody that hell. gives you some indication of just the the absolute stonking range that this woman has. But her comedic chops are absolutely unparalleled. And the scene in the alleyway with Jason Bateman, with the dry heaving setting each other off, trying to get this yeah. bullet out of his arm. And then, and then discovering that the bullet went all the way through <laughs> yeah. and it was never in there. It's, it's a horrible, <laughs> gross scene and it is absolutely spectacularly funny. I mean, it's genius, isn't it? What did you think, Andy? I liked it. I like it was um, the actual concept was very original. I did like that. Um, it was funny. <sighs> I just I you're less sold on it. I'm aren't less you? sold than the others. Not I did like it. It's, it's, def- it. it's definitely good. I, to be honest, I just a lot of the jokes I saw coming still didn't make. You know, I still laughed, but like when he was driving to get the plane, I was just like, right, he's gonna miss it. And he missed it and stuff. And then he got it. And I was like, it still made me laugh, but 
I just kind of saw every punch. And then um, uh, when the guy's climbing up to get out of the room and he's on a really unstable you know, artwork or boxes, I'm just like, well, I'm just waiting for him to fall. So You thought the jokes were a bit predictable. Yeah. yeah. Still made me laugh, but I was a bit like, uh, yeah. So I think it is worth talking about here for a moment, just with Andy, that you are you dab your hand in writing, uh, comedy writing as well. So do That's you perhaps, yeah, yeah. have you watched this from a different angle than perhaps we have been a writer in comedy? Yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah, I'm, that's what I'm trying to do now is reading scripts and trying to pick them apart and stuff. And with films, I try to break down the acts, think about what's happened in all the acts and stuff. But with a comedy, yeah, I'm, when you're trying to write a comedy, obviously you want to be unpredictable. But you've got to admit, the bullet hole scene in the alleyway is not predictable, <laughs> and it's certainly... It, it, yeah, oh no, it, 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 it definitely made me laugh. Um, when they couldn't find the bullet, then I was like, oh, it's come out the other side. Well, yeah, I I worked that out yeah, as well. But, but I don't, I don't I didn't think it took away any of the comedy from No, no, no. I mean, are you three it, To be honest, working it out earlier and seeing them still doing it was funnier to me cuz I was just Yeah, you're thinking, waiting no, for them no, to no, you're waiting for them to catch up. Um are you three like do you gag easily? No. No. Oh, okay. Really. Just cuz I say like, the actual gagging made me laugh, but it was I, I wasn't lolling. Oh, I found it hysterical. Yeah. I think <laughs> I think where the jokes may be predictable, I think it's the way the performances uh, perform those jokes. Like, it's the way Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams like deliver those jokes that made it feel not predictable. I think maybe for me. So let's kind of start wrapping it up. I'll go around and just ask each of you to point out one key moment if there's anything that perhaps you didn't like. Highlight that and give us your scores, gentlemen. Drew, I'll come to you first. Um, my my funniest moment is the scene in the alleyway with the the dry heaving and the bullet. Um, but extra props for the way it's shot. Um, when we were discussing this film before we started recording, uh, we were talking about some really interesting wide shots of the city that have been done with a really shallow depth of field, so that the city at large looks like someone's shooting footage of a model um, on a sort of macro lens. And stylistically, there are some really interesting flourishes, like the the one shot with the Faberge egg and those things that elevated it from what could have still been a really funny for me comedy. But those extra touches I really appreciated. Um, the only The only issue that I had with it um, and and I still, it, it's an issue that I continue to have slightly, um, is it being, uh, it's a little hard to wrap your head around once um, Gary's deception is revealed, but then the actual criminals show up, and it took me out of the film a bit, just because I then sat there for a while going, hang on, so where, how did these two, how did it link but not link where did it diverge and where did it come together by accident and that took me out of the film for a couple of minutes but aside from that i i am a, a very big fan of this film excellent and your score for it i Maybe? am giving this um 4.5 dry heaves in an alley out of five <laughs> wow nice. that is a strong start half a dry uh, heaves. ross <laughs> uh standout moments 
standout moments. I'm going to pick something different from Drew because that was a that was one of mine. Um, I also really like the bar scene um, in which they go in there and they speak to the bartender <laughs> and then they get and then Rachel McAdams is using this what she thinks is a fake gun but it's actually a real gun. Um, uh, and I thought that was really good. And I also like the fact that as c- coming from me being a, an immersive actor, like um, when she's talking to the barman going, oh, yeah, he's so he's so bad at his like. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, I've, I've met those people who just go, you're an immersive actor, aren't you? You're an actor, aren't you? You're like, oh, God, I hate you so much. Um, so that was a really standout moment. And for me, nothing, nothing um was bad in my eyes i thoroughly enjoyed it so i am going to give it a 4.5 out uh max davis self blowjobs out of five (laughs) Um, so yeah excellent thanks for us andy um again yeah the drive even scene was funny i really liked the um when the bad guys first come in the house and take Brooks, that fight, um, when everyone thinks it's part of the game and they're just eating cheese and stuff and they're going, they're not really paying attention. The actual fight is really good. Um, yeah. So, and I mean, a lot of the actual physical stuff is really good. Um, but yeah, I can't really say more than we've already said. I'm going to give it 3.5 Denzel Washington lookalikes. <laughs> nice. Didn't even talk about all of the supporting characters who are amazing yeah. and mm. the Denzel yeah. subplot, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's really definitely fun. definitely a recommend. Everyone should definitely go see. It. It's really funny. Definitely. What would you give it, Matt? Um, myself again, absolutely loved it. And what I really enjoy, the thing that I enjoy throughout the movie most is um, how strong the characters are and the relationships are with each couple but also within the wider circle as well. I, I just think it was a bit of a masterclass in comedy in some ways in terms of performance. Um, for me, the big reveal of Gary being the game master is one of those, like, even though I've seen the movie a few times now, isn't it? the first time I saw it, I was like, what the fuck? But um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of the twists and turns in it. But I do kind of echo Drew in even watching it the third and fourth time. I'm like, gosh, there is a lot that they've kind of tried to put a bow on at the end of this movie, or have they? Um, and yeah, there's it's certainly it. You need to concentrate the first time that you watch it. You really actually quite need to concentrate on one of these movies. But for me, I really bloody enjoyed it as well. I am going to score it what I scored Willy Wonka because I think that was also a fantastic movie. So I'm going to give it four four bullet holes in bodies out of five. <laughs> just bodies, not even relating to a film. More just so eloquent. <laughs> uh, so we've put our scores in. We've had some pretty high scores here all round and only mired slightly by Andy's cynicism. But nonetheless, it does mean that Game Night joins Willy Wonka at the top of our pile with an average score of 4.125. Oh, wow. Definite recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. So, now the moment that I'm sure our listeners have been waiting for, it's time to get your sequels pitched. 
I'm going to kick off this week with Andy, last week's winner. Title of your movie, please. He's stretching, he's limbering up. Getting ready. Okay, mine is called Game Night Round 2. A, a strong title there. Perhaps not the last time we'll hear Game Night Round 2 <laughs> today. Okay, Andy, Game Night Round 2. Your time starts now. We see Max and Annie and Brooks at a karate tournament. They're cheering on Max and Annie's 10-year-old son, James. James is about to fight another kid whose mother, Lydia, is on the other side of the stand, chanting for her son to win. The family starts to chant back, and Brooks and Lydia see each other and start to yell louder. The more Brooks and Lydia start uh, shouts, the more inappropriate and aggressive they get. But soon, the anger blossoms into love, and they start to walk over to each other. And the angry, inappropriate yelling changes to inappropriate sexual remarks. The pair dive at each other, kissing and rolling over, over other parents in the crowd. Title, Game Night, Round 2. We're in Brooks and Man uh, Brooks's mansion and we see his date in Lydia and she has moved in with him and her son. Max and Annie enter with their son and as the boys play, the adults eat their dinner. After dinner, the four start to play a game and Lydia asks if they want to play something with a little bit more substance. She, called, uh, she said she called the company from the first film and they have a new game where two people get kidnapped and the teams have to find them through clues. Everyone says it sounds familiar but she ensures it's different. Everyone thinks it sounds fun and they agree to play but Lydia says the game has already begun. She asks Annie to go check on the boys. When Annie comes back, she's panicked holding two golden envelopes and saying the boys are missing. Lydia says obviously as we learn the boys have been taken and the two couples are the teams you have to find them. The game is afoot. Brooks and Lydia grab a golden envelope and run out of the house. Max and Annie freak out and call Lydia crazy but calm down as they realise it's just a game and their son is fine. Probably. They open the envelope and start working on their clue. The clue brings them to a biker bar where the next clue will be in a case. Uh, we can have a scene where they remember that in the back of their car they have costumes from last Halloween that would help them fit in. Um, they walk in costumes well, that obviously they can stand out, something like the, they're wearing the YMCA costumes because they think one of the band members was a biker. Uh, they go to the bartender thinking he's part of the game and convince him to give them the case. The bartender gives them a briefcase and they leave the bar just as Brooks and Lydia drive in to the car park. Brooks and Lydia manage to steal the briefcase off Max and drive away. As they drive away, the motorbike, a motorbike gang storms out of the bar, screaming, That guy has our case! And the gang get on their bikes and ride after Brooks and Lydia. Max and Annie walk back into the bar and talk to the bartender, where they learn he's not part of the game and a misunderstanding has happened, and the briefcase Brooks has is full of drugs. Max and Annie run out and drive after Brooks. They see an abandoned building with motorcycles outside and assume the bike is caught up with Brooks and Lydia and have them tied up. Annie counts the bikers surrounding the building and Max says he has a plan and calls Ryan and Kevin as since the first film they've all been playing a lot of Call of Duty so they use a plan that they used in the game uh, and we see a scene where the six from the first film infiltrate the house and take down the bikers. They find Brooks and Lydia tied up, who up to now thought the bikers were part of the game, and they release them. Max tells Brooks the briefcase is full of drugs and they leave, but Brooks sneaks back in and steals a bag of drugs from the briefcase. The game is back on. Gary, Kevin, Seven, and Michelle can stick around or not. It depends. They're not really important to the rest, but for fanfare, we can stick them. We can keep them around if you want. The couples realise they were both wrong with the previous case clue, and they work together to figure it out and head off to the boys. When they get there, the boys are being held up at gunpoint by the head biker. He woke up after being knocked out and found the clue the couples dropped, and it was because it was so easy. He got to the boys before them. Brooks chucks the bag of drugs at the biker, and a fight begins. Brooks knocks the biker out, and the families are reunited. Cops are called. Arrests are made. We end with Lydia apologising for the crazy night, she just saying she just wanted to fit in with the family because she loves Brooks. Brooks proposes with a ring he stole from the unconscious head biker. Max and Annie say Lydia is crazy, so she should fit in well with this family. They agree not to play any games for a while, but as they're so competitive, they end up racing to the car and racing home. There you go. Thank you. 
plenty going on there. I guess the easiest place to start with my questions is that you decided not to use the sequel prepper from the first movie. Any reason for that? Wants to make different. The whole point about the first film, they, the drive of Max and Annie was the, the kind of insecurity with Brooks and wanting a kid. Um, so I wanted to use that emotional development to kind of push onto the first into, into the sequel. Sorry, and you and have that they need to have their kid in some some peril or some sort. I mean, I want to immediately use that as my feeder for the second question: that you've jumped ten years into the future, despite the fact this movie was only well, the first game night was only made in twenty eighteen. So you're gonna age all three. Key yeah. actors and not, not hugely. And Brooks. It's only ten years, and it's a comedy. They can make a joke about how good they look for. Um, they could they make a joke saying like, "Oh, yeah, we've aged ten years, but it only looks like two. It's you put a, gray, a bit of grey in Jason Bateman and give a bit of wrinkles to Rachel McAdams. It's fine. Okay, a little bit of fourth wall break in there. Okay. And next question: You are putting kids in jeopardy. Uh, naturally, some people are going to feel uncomfortable about this. How are you going to handle it properly and tastefully without causing too much unrest? Uh, I mean, the only real peril will be at the end when they're being held at a gunpoint. But then Brooks is going to come save the day. So we needed, like, the, the idea with um, Max and Annie thinking Lydia's crazy is going to be the, you know, throughout the film, um, them come to go in oh, we actually like her and, and all that sort. So we needed a big thing to prove that she's a little bit wacky. I'm thinking like Amy Poehler or someone in this in this role who can really sell that fun, okay. crazy, but lovable, you know. At what point does crazy become bad parent? Well, I mean, because it's a game, they the kids are actually fine. Like, if the game was interrupted by the bikers, they wouldn't have been kidnapped. Like, they would have gone, right, we're going to take you, come play video games in another, you know, in our office for four hours while your parents find you. Right, okay. Um, we may need to discuss that. I feel like there needs to be a an introduction of someone to take away some of that because if it is that they were just nicked by strangers, then I don't know how that'll go down. Um, but anyway, we'll talk about kids later. Uh, there's a lot of focus on Max, Annie, Brooks and Lydia um, and you do kind of bring the original cast back for like, it feels like more of a cameo than anything. Um, do you think it's a strong enough storyline just focusing on two couples? Yes. They're all we, they're all we need. Any more characters would just be filler. Um, I'd say the, the, the fourth or the first one can stick around for the end to crack jokes but they they don't play a major role in the plot so we'd have them there for jokes and to be like hey from the first film but okay yeah. good to know right um that is all i have for now i'm going to move swiftly over to our second picture ross harmston this is so funny, isn't it? It's like a weird job interview. You're like, uh, yeah, let me just go over to my next interview. That's all I've got at the moment. So, uh, my uh, yeah, my my film is called Game Night Two. I didn't put it around in because I didn't. Uh, so yeah, exciting. Here we go. The film opens and we see the words 1974 on the screen. The camera pans down through the house to a basement. We see board games littering the shelves and we see two boys sitting at a table. It's a young Max and his brother. 
Brooks. They are playing Dungeons and Dragons with another friend. Max is the dungeon master, narrating the story for his brother and his friend. He asks Brooks to roll a dice. Brooks rolls badly and tries to lie to his brother. Max calls him out and Brooks throws the stuff off the table and storms out. Cut back to modern day. And we see uh, where the first film ended. Two men cocking guns and entering the Davis residence. They tell them all to get on the floor, shouting. uh, And they say, not the child's pose. Not the child's pose. One of the men shouts... uh, one of the men shouts at them, who's Annie? Um, in the scene, similar to I am Spartacus, they eventually find Annie. So they're going to go, I'm Annie. And they're going to go, no, I'm Annie. And it's going to be hilarious. They sit there. Uh, they sit her on a wooden chair. Brooks is begging for them to stop. Then all of a sudden, the two men start to strip and they give a lap dance to Annie. Max gets up and stops the music and says, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, Ryan owns up to it and says that it was his idea uh, and it was a baby shower gift. They all look at him confused, saying, that's not what you get someone for a baby shower. Um, Brooks takes his time this time to announce how proud he is of his brother and that he is excited to be an uncle and tells them that he's got them a gift to say sorry for all the first movie's things. He tells the group a story of how him and his brother got into D&D and how they would play it all the time. Kevin interjects in this uh, and then says is this before he tried to suck his own dick match ur- urges his brother to get to the point brooks tell then tells them all that they got he got tickets for them all for a live action role play for them uh, brooks can't explain what it is so max has to explain it for him the next day they start packing the car we see from across the road they are being watched by men in a car in particular peter stormare Stomare, 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 I've heard as well. Yeah, uh, you say Stomare, I say Stomare. <laughs> uh, his name is Sergey. He leaves the car, uh, he sees the car uh, leave and says, follow them. The group travel to the LARP in a forest in the middle of nowhere. They joke, are we going to get murdered out here? They arrive and see the sign Fantopia. They all get given names and weapons, all foam. Uh, Max immediately falls into his role and Annie has never seen this side of him before. They go in to a nearby inn and ask for a drink at the bar. And we see Jeffrey Wright, the actor from the first one. He says, not again. They catch up and leave to go start the game. Sergey arrives at the LARP and are told they cannot enter without costumes. They shoot four people and take their clothes. They all go to the inn and ask the bar, the barman, Jeffrey Wright, where the, uh, the group went. Uh, he tries to stay in character but is punched in the face. He then tells them they, start, they went to start the game. They rip some display swords off the wall which are actually real and head there. More funny scenes on the way. They can do some like interactions with like actual people in the LARPs. Um, the group get to the meeting point and hear an opening speech from T- Charlie Day as an as an old wizard, explaining that the group must rescue the princess and defeat the bad guy. He says, let the games begin and everyone disperses. Max is trying to roleplay to get the information on where the princess is, but Brooks, his brother, just goes up to the wizard and bribes him to give him the location of the princess. Max sees this and says, this is what you were like when we played as kids. You always cheat. 
and storms off. They head to the location of the princess. Hot on their tail is Sergei and his goons. Eventually, Max and the gang get to the princess, but we see uh, we can see Max is dejected, no longer in character. His brother sees this and realizes he needs to make an effort and announces, "My lady, we are here to save you." A big end boss steps forward and says, You'll have to defeat me first. Max smiles. That's when the goons catch up with them. They stab the end boss. Max uh, and the gang think that the weapon look more realistic than theirs and commend the end boss for his death when he's actually dead. Um, Sergei steps forward and points his sword at Brooks and says, You gave me the dud witsec information. Now you die. Uh, they have a fight with the real and foam saws and realise they immediately have no actual weapons, so they have to run away. Max and Brooks get on a horse and is followed by Sergei whilst the other gang are pursued by the mean guys. Max and Brooks have a chase scene, I love a chase scene, and it ends with Sergei being <laughs> jousted. The other gang manage to subdue the mean guys by disarming them in some sort of hilarious scene. I'm thinking some sort of Fabergé egg sort of scene, but with something else. Uh, just copy some same old shit you know uh <laughs> the film finishes with the gang explaining to the police what happened all the while saying surely there's a twist right like you're not a real police officer or the whole thing was a setup the police officer responds not everything has to be a twist sir the end also there's a subplot where gary finds the love of his life at the at the larp end of there you go <laughs> perfect there you go. So it was a long one. Sorry. Thank you, Ross. Uh, brilliant one. I personally very much enjoyed the LARPing in the role playing, but we'll get into that in a moment. Um, the first question I have to ask you. Yes. It, your film carries a lot of um, unexpected and quite grim violence. How do you think you'll be able to keep the humour of the movie or the lightness of the movie that we did see in the first one, considering you are essentially murdering innocent people? Um, I think, you know, you've got... there. There is some, bad, like, weird stuff going on in the first one. Like, you know, there's... Um, yeah, I, I, I want to... It doesn't... Maybe we don't have to murder them. Maybe we could just injure them, like shoot them in the leg or something. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's that fine line. Um, I don't want it to be too gruesome. Like they don't have to like maim them or anything. But like I, I want there to be <laughs> some sort of because you know quick deaths. Um, Give them all. Quick yeah, deaths I mean the guy gets in the first one. The guy gets sucked into an engine and gets evaporated. So you know there is that thing. I want it to be kind of like that. Okay, um, I'd say that considering they're bad guys getting sucked into plane jets, I guess. There's yeah, less so. innocence at risk. But I can see where you're coming yeah. from. Um, perhaps maiming or seriously harming rather than murdering. You know, yeah. Go for the Dobby approach, we'll be fine. Yeah, ma- yeah. Maiming's hilarious. <laughs> it's fine. Maiming's fine. <laughs> it's fine. No one died. <laughs> Do you think that LARP and role-playing genre has a wide enough appeal to bring in similar revenue to the first? Yes, 100%. Uh, the guys who are doing the guys that are um, directing this uh, well game night are directing bloody uh, Dungeons and Dragons, and so 
and Dungeons and Dragons has never never been more popular at the moment thanks to Stranger Things and Critical Role and all these other things and it used to be yeah maybe like around role models uh, time um it probably wasn't as popular and people I don't want my film to be taking the piss out of these people who are going to LARPing mm-hmm. and doing that I I want it to be embracing it yes there is the element of the goons coming in and going just shooting people or whatever and just punching their way through everything but i and i do want some hilarious scenes where they're trying to fit in and they don't really know what this is but i think that yeah dnd has never been more popular at the moment than it is already and anyone that can do it my my ideal directors would be from the first movie so anyone could do it it would probably be them when they reveal in a month's time that Ross's sequel pitch uh, is <laughs> yeah. in fact the premise of Dungeons and Dragons the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> okay, one of the main features of the first movie was the numerous twists. Um, and this one, in fact, doesn't seem to have any. You even referenced this. Uh, do you think that that takes away from the feel and the kind of the impact and what made the first film as successful? I I do have one in the beginning when you think it's going to be the guys who are coming in to kill um, Rachel McAdams and they end up giving her a lap dance, you know. Uh, so there is one. But I also think, I think that familiarity breeds contempt and like if people are just going to expect it it won't be as 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 powerful so that's why i didn't really include it in my pitch because i was like well i think everyone's going to go oh i wonder what the twist is i wonder what the twist is and i don't i don't want people to think that i want people to focus on the story and and the characters and also killing innocent people you tease <laughs> <laughs> so yeah cool good answer uh gary's love interest my last question uh i really want to know more about this yeah i mean i didn't want to i like i already had so many other bloody things in my film there's obviously there i don't the 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 rest of the gang they do have other moments in the film it's not just going to be just um jason bateman but yeah i thought gary i think he he would go to this lamp and then he would like find a girl who's like really into it and then they they connect in that and then maybe she comes along to the end boss thing or or they talk after her and then like she says do you want to come play D with me um or something or invite yeah and it it doesn't like they don't they like they don't get together but like it's a setup for him maybe finding some love no nice. because I, th- I like that you know he's a he's a guy that needs a little bit of development from the first movie. Agreed. Perfect. Thank you very much, Ross. Uh, I'm going to move over swiftly to our third and final pitcher, Drew Toynbee. Hiya. Hello. What is the title of your movie, sir? Yeah, funnily enough, mine is also Game Night Round 2. Deja vu. Mm. (laughs) Okay. Let's hear our second pitch for Game Night Round 2. Ding, ding. Okay, we start at the end of the first movie, outside Brooks's apartment building, cutting between the action inside that we saw at the end where Max is learning that Annie's pregnant and the van outside with the occupants arriving, pulling on masks, pulling out guns. 
The celebration inside continues. Max and Annie are on top of the world. Brooks is making jokes about how he hopes the kid doesn't wet the bed for as long as Max did. And then the masked men burst in and grab everyone. Everyone's laughing. They think it's fake. It carries on for longer and longer until they realise it isn't. And they all start to get really scared. At which point, funnily enough, Ryan stands up and points out it was all a prank that he organised and everyone absolutely berates him and you have (laughs) a scene of all of these comedy actors improvising insults for Billy Magnuson and it's hilarious. Um, Titles on screen, game night round two. A few years later, we have a brief montage to show where everyone is now, um, including significant clips of lockdown Zoom game nights. Um, Max and Annie are now competitive parents to a precocious four-year-old. Ryan and Sarah are still going strong and now living together. Brooks and Dr. Chen have moved out of the apartment after the house arrest ends and have bought the giant house and are completely insufferable but likeable. And Kevin and Michelle have also had a kid a similar age to Max and Annie and Gary is exactly the same and completely unchanged. (laughs) <laughs> the movie kicks off because Max and Annie have blown through all of their savings uh, because of the pandemic. And so they've completely run out of money. Brooks and the others who are still who've still been able to work have been offering them money. But Max is in particular too proud to take the money. And Annie's given up asking him to consider taking it. Um, the world starts to get back to normal. Max and Annie continue to struggle to find work because everyone's trying to find jobs. They're juggling like three low paid jobs each. And you have scenes of them dealing with awful, horrible customers and dealing with a four year old child, which I've got coming to me in a couple of years and I'm a bit scared. Um, and so they get to the end of the day and they're trying to work on stuff for themselves, but they just collapse into bed and they they have various projects that they want to do, but they're just left unfinished. Then one day Brooks arrives at the door and tells them that he has booked a trip for the whole gang using all of his money. There's a huge gaming convention um, possibly partnering with a real expo like E3 if it's running by this point. Um, but because board games have exploded during lockdown, there's a whole board game section and there's going to be a party game tournament with a prize of $10 million. Brooks has signed them all up and booked them all tickets in a hotel. The rest of the movie is at the contest. The A plot of the movie follows the team, which is primarily at this point Max, Annie, Brooks and Dr. Chen, as they go through the various games and move through the competition. And you have various arguments with people thinking they know the answer and getting it wrong. And a, a big part of this movie that I found really funny was just billy magnuson being stupid and people insulting each other when they do stuff wrong and i would trust these actors to be able to do that themselves um but as they go through the competition they discover that another team has managed to uh, steal a copy of the questions for the final trivia competition you will eventually find out they're actually in a similar situation to max and annie but you'll find this out later um but they turn to a loan shark to keep themselves going and they're being extorted to get the money back so they feel like they have to win they actually end up taking gary hostage because they get too close and they're like no we right if you if you try and come after these answers we'll hurt him um and then you have scenes through the movie of him being incredibly boring and really creepy and the guys who are guarding him are like oh i hate this guy and the rest of them won't call the police because max won't let them because he's worried if they go to the police they might cancel the contest because the answers have got out and he needs to win he needs to provide for his wife and his family Um, The B-plot would be Ryan still basically struggling with being not as smart as Sarah. um, And she will spend the whole movie thinking that he's jealous of her. But actually, at the end, it becomes clear that he's scared that she'll leave him because she thinks he's not smart enough for her. And she's like, oh, you silly goose. And that's all happy at the end. 
Um, the other B plot is Kevin and Michelle, and just because it's so good in the first movie, they'll be there with the rest of the team. But real Denzel Washington will be at the convention with his um, with his wife, and so that will keep happening. And I would just want some horrible, awkward, funny stuff happening there. But then at the end of the movie, adding to the confusion, Gary's ex-wife Debbie, who meets not Denzel from the first movie in an end credit scene, will also be there, and you'll see that actually that was causing even more extra confusion. The A-plot resolves with the our team bowing out when the threats against Gary get too real. Um, Max almost jeopardises his safety because he's so desperate to win because he wants to provide for his family off his own back um, and he can't let go of the idea but in the end he he does back out of the competition and they get Gary back um, and Gary then in a sort of uh, another positive turn helps the other team take down the loan shark. Um, but finally, at the end, Max and Annie will allow Brooks to invest in a board game that they've been working on together in their spare time. It's a combination trivia game and board game based on the first movie. And of course, it's a huge success. It all blows up. Max and Annie make a bunch of money off of it, but then Brooks makes even more. So he's still even richer than them. But everyone's really happy. And that's the end of the movie. Excellent. Thank you very much. So... Again, I enjoy that we're taking it to a convention. I enjoy that we're stepping in that kind of direction. But in an opposite to Ross's, this movie seems to lack uh, a little bit of grit. Where where would you say the grit of the movie really comes in? For me, it's the threats against Jesse Plemons' Gary. I would want it to be clear that he is genuinely at risk and like they are, they're sending videos of them like punching him in the face when they get a bit too close and stuff like that it, it's it won't have the same level of danger as as the first film um just because that didn't quite fit in with where i took it yeah. ultimately fair i think on that and on the gary situation with this other couple um it seems like there's a lot of room there for creating as antagonists or kind of tragic heroes uh this other couple of strong supporting cast um are there you know is that a narrative that you've kind of envisioned telling throughout the story or not not they're not going to be a focus the the reveal that they've been kind of forced to do it because they're being extorted by loan sharks is kind of my twist in that you would set them up as being sort of shady shadowy evil figures through the movie Mm -hmm. and then at the end when you discover why they did it you perhaps reveal that they are um like john krasinski and um uh jenna fisher from the office and you have like you've only ever seen them from the back and you just have them be two really likable nice actors they are more of a device to be the twist and to highlight the fact that a load of people around the world have been through some incredible hardship over the last year or two um, and how it might be affecting people. Okay. You've got Brooks investing in Max and Annie's board game. Is there, can, how, how do you sell it that they've gone from hard nose in Brooks wanting to help to accepting his offer? Because at the beginning, he's just trying to give them money. And that's what Max is saying no to. But then, yeah, I, I, I didn't want to 
put too much detail because I have a history on this podcast of doing my pitches way too long. But I would have had it that Brooks sort of comes round to see them and they're still struggling. And he's like, hey, what's this? And holds up the prototype. And they're like, oh, it's something we haven't been able to finish it. And he's like, hey, you finish this. And if it's good, I will invest. I won't be gifting you money. It will be a business investment. We can go into business together. And that's where they're like, oh, it fulfills Max's journey of him wanting to provide for his family off of his own back. And it has the benefit that he's done it with Annie as well. Nice. Cool. And just while we're on Brooks and other sporting cast, you've brought them all back. Uh, it sounds like they've all got journeys. But is the fact, are you using those uh, B plots that are quite well thought out, B plots, but are they just there as filler to buff out a movie that perhaps otherwise might be a bit light on story? Um, no, honestly, I, I wouldn't normally have thought to put it in. I, I would hope that the tournament and going through the questions, obviously it gets breezed over here, as I've noticed that we all kind of do this in Act 2 of our movies when we do our pitches. Act 2 goes like that. And we're like, and then this happens and they get to this place, when in a movie that's the part of the movie where there are all the ups and downs and the challenges that they have to overcome. Um, so I didn't do it just to fill time. Honestly watching this movie and thinking about how to do a sequel was a bit of a lesson for me because the the plots of Ryan and Sarah and Kevin and Michelle in the first movie are so good they are just they're little side plots they don't feel like filler they are well-rounded characters who go on journeys through the movie and grow as people and it's also really funny and I wanted to make sure that that was something I not only included in the sequel and I, I would want those actors to come back because they all have such great chemistry. But it's something that I would want to carry forward into future pictures as well, hopefully. There you go then. Thank you very much. Right, well, I've heard enough to get my gears turning for now. But <clears throat> what? Now we're in the good bit. I enjoy this bit most. Now I'm essentially opening the floor. And I want to know, I want to hear from you guys why I should be picking yours and also why I should not be picking your competitors. The floor's yours, gents. All right, I'm going to go first. I'm going for it. Okay, Andy. Andy, like, I, I, I get exactly where you're coming from. I like the choice to make it about their competitiveness between particularly Max and Brooks. But karate is it starting it with karate felt like a bit of an odd choice because it's so combative it's it's not like a battle of wits it is striking people in the in the body and limbs to bring them to the floor um it 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 felt like for me it didn't feel like that was a direction that max and annie would push their kid um also i i agree with matt i think 10 years later is a bit of a mistake to do it i i think that the I, I think you've got some really funny moments like the 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 YMCA biker costumes in the car whilst convenient and coincidental is a really funny image. Um, but I, I struggle like when when they realized that there were drugs and they've actually been kidnapped. Why didn't they all just call the police? Why did they do the Call of Duty thing to go in? I, I think there are a couple of little lapses in characterization or logic um, in Andes. Likewise with Ross, I feel like I feel like the first movie is about Max learning about Brooks actually Brooks Brooks is a dickhead to Max because he looks up to him so much. And it feels like that relationship has slid backwards a little bit. Also, Ross, slight problem in that 
the end of the first movie, Brooks specifically says he's under house arrest for three years. And this one, he's just like, oh, we've... I've booked it. Let's go right now, and they leave. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah they, they they could be a scene where they he cuts it off and puts it in the house. <laughs> Whatever, you know. He's a guy that sells things to um, criminals. He said he made fifteen million pounds, and you don't think he'll be able to just get out of this uh, ankle bracelet? I think if it was that easy to get out of ankle bracelets, they wouldn't exist. Well, but if, <laughs> also, but, I'm work. I'm going on the fact that. At the end of the movie, he hasn't learned anything. He's still he's still a shyster, and he's still like a guy that's selling selling secrets of innocent people. Bear in mind who are in witness protection. He's selling their 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 information to whoever, and then he tips them off as well for yeah, more okay, money. That's a fair point. So that is a fair point. I think Andy's is doesn't even explain how what happens at the end of the first movie uh doesn't go what happens with those people that cocked their guns and were waiting outside in the in the van they they were robbing a shop across the street <laughs> just don't just don't think about it <laughs> in a residential street where there's no like shops yeah <laughs> yeah explain it to me andy explain explain how the, how they get out what is that scene well that's not the story i'm telling they... No, but you still have to reference it, though. What? It's not like it it's just didn't exist ago. in the first move. Yeah, ten but you can't just go. Oh, yeah, it's ten. Ten years ago, Brooks not to be on house arrest. You can't just. No, but they off. don't. They don't even mention it. They don't even mention it in your pitch. So you don't mean, even go. Why do we need to? Because it happened in the movie. That's why. Yeah, but it's not important. It's the second beat of the movie. It wasn't it's very important. It wasn't it wasn't an it's imaginary sequel, scene. It wasn't mate. a dream sequence. So they, I mean if you said it was a dream, I would have been everything was fine. Like it was fine. Like, what? They called the cops and it was fine. Like it's not important to the second film. It's ten years ago. Do you still reference no, things it... ten years ago? No, but what you're I mean, we keep on talking about the fact <laughs> that we've been friends for thirteen years. If, so. if you said if you went, Oh, um at the beginning of the movie you went, Oh yeah, they he wakes up, Jason Bain wakes up and it was all it, that bit at the end was a, like a, a nightmare or something. I would have been like, okay, cool. The, the fact you didn't mention it just. I would it, not, by the way. I just want to throw my two peas worth in. <laughs> no, but at least it was I, I, explained. I'd be okay. I'd be okay with that as a as a sort of funny joke. Yeah, I just think, I think that's that you you need but... to reference the end of the movie. It's like going. It's like someone dying at the end of a, f- a first movie and then going oh they're back again on this in the second movie oh it's 10 years <laughs> later it doesn't matter it's fine um and i think drew's just doesn't have any meat on the old bones it, like you like you said matt there's no meat yeah there's no meat there's no meat on those wow, that's a really nuanced argument you're making there. <laughs> just keep repeating there's no meat yeah there's no meat yeah what you said matt yeah all the stuff that you said i really like my biggest problem with Ross's is <clears throat> I like the idea of the like the laugh D and D thing, but what can you bring to yeah. it that role models already hasn't done perfectly? Better writing, mm. better like what, jokes. Like, like role models was um, perfect. What can you do? You can't really make fun of the, like the outfits or the fact that one no, someone's got a real sword, one's model, got a foam sword. They've done it all in role models. Ro- no, but role models is about role models takes the piss out of the people that are there and takes the piss out like. It's very much a. It's role models is good. Um, don't get me wrong, but it's not a, a clever comedy. It's literally 
a what jokes comedy you have in yours, then? where a guy, the where a guy goes and goes, what are these fucking nerds doing? Oh, are these fucking nerds with their foam swords? Oh, stupid. Let us gingerly touch our yeah. tips and all this stuff. I wouldn't so have the that comedy's stuff. not coming from, like, laughing. No, it is coming from that. Like it's coming from the fact that it, it's it's more it's more involved in in that, and it's it's more about the gang. And I don't think you've seen you've seen one guy, Paul Rudd, go to one of these things. You haven't seen the group of uh, the friends go there and their relationships with each other in a situation like that. And that's what I wanted to work on. Mm, I just don't think there's enough that <laughs> role models always on. It perfectly i mean the reason i didn't start with basically the uh the end of the first film was because drew and ross have predictably done the same thing or having it be a psych out and that's why i purposely tried to stay away one's a baby shower and one's like something else you've both started off predictably and what was the biggest like flaw with my first film was like the comedy was like predictable I don't think referencing a scene at the end Karate of the movie is predictable. Is com- I mean, it's competitive enough anyway, so it's fine if the kid wants to do that. I'm, if we I'm want not to, uh, if we want to change it to chess, actually, think about it now that would be quite. That probably would be more funny. But uh, as long as it opens on funny, a competitive, I will take credit thing. for you having that idea. <laughs> No, you can't change the pitch now. It's done. It is karate forevermore. Oh, we normally change our pitches all the way through. <laughs> That's a t-shirt. Yeah. It is karate forevermore. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Merch coming soon. Okay, okay, okay. I've, I think I've heard enough. I've made my decision. But before oh. I reveal it, I will take a moment just to compliment each of you. Um, Andy, I did really enjoy it. I think there's... A real strong character in Lydia, um, and the fact I, I really enjoy the idea that there's someone more crazy than the group of friends already. I, I feel like you could have a lot of fun with that. Um, perhaps uh, too many things to try and work around with the ten-year difference, but nonetheless, a very strong idea. Ross, I personally love the LARPing idea getting more involved in that side of things something that as friends are all passionate about and i enjoy that we're steering away from making larping the joke which i will kind of echo that i feel like role models kind of did um so i'm glad that that isn't the butt of the joke um it's a bit dark it's a little bit dark but we've discussed that um drew again being at a gaming convention it's perfect setting for a film about games um the idea of bringing things like zoom and uh just little micro references to the world that we're living in um i really like that i think if anything i was hoping that you were going to make more of the other couple rather than less um as someone that kind of if they were to represent society and some of the struggles they're going through but again a nice film that brings all of them in. Three really strong pitches, actually, and I really enjoyed listening to you guys arguing out who... Debating who would win. But there can only be one winner. Um, and this week's winner, on the proviso that there could be a couple of little tweaks, is Ross Harmston. What's my what's my changes I've got made? Um, we're not killing start. innocent people. There okay. can be humorous yeah, humorous 
knockouts and even stabbing BBEG at the end. Um, perhaps it can be a stabbing that doesn't kill him. He's just like, ouch. Yeah. A hilarious non fatal We'll find a way to make <laughs> it humorous, okay? My other proviso is Gary has to fall in love with the princess. Yes, <laughs> I will allow that. I will allow that. I like it. Imagine if I just went, no. Um, <laughs> and I just didn't want to take the, the uh, win. Well, that's up to you. <laughs> well done, Ross. Congratulations, Ross. Nice. So awesome. you will be our host next episode. What are we reviewing and where can we find it? So, uh, boys, we are doing the 2002 sci-fi thriller, I guess? Signs with Mel Gibson. Um, it is available on Disney Plus on the new star uh, section that they have. So we are going to be... And it's a very dear, fond film um, of my heart. So I hope they are all very good pictures. So, yeah. No pressure, chat. <laughs> there you go. That's what you got to look forward to next week. So with nothing more to say, it is goodbye from Andy. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Drew. Goodbye. Goodbye from this week's winner, Ross. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please rate and review us if you're listening on Apple or Google Podcasts. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at SQL Pitch or Instagram at SQL Pitch Podcast. Thanks for listening.